This is The Thomas Guide, your roadmap for navigating the world. With your guide, John Thomas, political savant, world-class analyst, and culture critic. No need to Google directions. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. This is The Thomas Guide with your host, John Thomas. Tulsi Gabbard throws haymakers at the ladies of The View. And Andrew Yang goes up on TV in Iowa. But will it be enough? I'll get into that and more in this episode of The Thomas Guy. Welcome back to this episode of The Thomas Guide. I'm John Thomas, your host. We've got a bunch of fun stuff to get to tonight. Okay. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was on The View. And we've got to play this clip uh, because she... Let me just say this in full disclosure. I think her policies by and large are so are way too far left. I don't think she'd be a good president. However, she is showing real skills at being a politician. And I've got to tell you, the more I see her in action, the more impressed I am with her. She's disciplined. She keeps her cool. She's able to deliver a negative without uh, coming off as bitchy, but also likable at the same time. And so she went on, uh, to, you know, to talk about a variety of things in the presidential, but she really went on to confront Joy Behart, who had been accusing Tulsi of being a Russian asset, essentially parroting um, Hillary Clinton's lines. So let's let's listen to this uh, exchange. I'll give you my analysis. And Tulsi used several mechanisms. Uh, that we use in messaging and politics that are actually quite effective to avoid message creep. Because the problem you have whenever you talk to not just the ladies on The View, but people who want to be comedians, people who especially don't understand their subject matter, is they keep, when you are trying to drill down on an issue and make a point, they want to get off onto a sideshow by making a joke and then go off on any other subject. But Tulsi brought it back in a serious way, and she had all of the pieces and tools in her arsenal to just demolish Joy and the ladies of The View. First, Hillary, defending Hillary Clinton's bullshit statement that Tulsi's a rub, Russian asset doesn't make any sense. Uh, I mean, come on. So, so Joy was wrong and in a losing position. Anyway, but she's attacking Tulsi, who is can throw down every card in the freaking book to play the victim and, you're, and, and look better than Joy, a liberal celebrity comedian. Tulsi is a biracial female. She served her country. She's an elected member of Congress. I mean, it, it, she's got all the boxes. She checks them all. So she really earned some credit in my book. Let's listen to the clip and I'll kind of break it down as it goes through. Yesterday. Uh, well, look, the facts are important and uh, we'll get to that. I want to start with something that I think is also important uh, about facts. Notice the transition from facts to let me get to correct the record. Smooth transition, Tulsi. Let's keep going. Because recently on your show here. I was uh, just going to get to that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Helping you out. You want me to ask you the um, question? Yeah. No, look, some of you have accused me of being a, uh, a traitor to my country, a Russian asset, 
a Trojan horse uh, or a useful, we you a useful idiot, I think was the term well, that you used, which basically means that I'm uh, naive or, or lack intelligence to term. know what's going they on. They use that. I want to let I want to let your viewers know exactly who I am. All right. Set the record straight. I am a patriot. I love our country. I am a strong and intelligent woman of color, and I have dedicated almost my entire adult life to protecting the safety, security, and the freedom of all Americans in this country. It was the attacks on 9-11. far ahead of ourselves, but uh, Franklin Graham finds you refreshing. He doesn't find me refreshing. Uh, Richard Spencer, the white nationalist leader, says he could vote for you. Joy, this is why I mean, this you're is on, why you're on Tucker Carlson at least 10 times. Why don't you go on Chris this, this is, show? This is why I'm here. Smart move again. She doesn't address the Tucker Carlson, Fox News, you uh, don't go on MSNBC charge. She gets right back to me because you and other people continue to to spread these innuendos that have nothing to do with who I am. Well, Hillary Clinton started it, and then you shot back at her, boy. <laughs> you called her the queen of you, warmongers. You, you double down. Unfortunately, you double down on the baseless accusations that she made that strikes at the core of who I am. I'm a soldier because of the attacks on 9-11. I enlisted in the military to go after and defeat and destroy the evil that visited us on that day. I've served now for over 16 years. I deployed twice the Middle East during the height of the war where every single day I saw firsthand human cost. That's why I ran for Congress. We actually have the clip of Hillary Clinton. Just to put this in context of what we're talking about, let's, let's take a look at that. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. She's a favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of, you know, sites and bots and other uh, ways of supporting her so far. Uh, and I, I'm, that, that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not, because she's also a Russian uh, asset. So really, I mean, this is outrageous. This is outrageous and offensive on so many levels. I've served as a member of Congress now for almost seven years, receiving high level national security and intelligence briefings, serving on the Foreign Affairs Committee, the Armed Services Committee, the Homeland Security Committee, working to ensure the safety and security of the people of this country. This is why I'm running for president, to continue that commitment of service. I like how she's cool and calm and collected and just lays out the resume and just blasts Hillary. It just looks so silly, the attacks. Okay, let's keep going. So are you surprised, though, that when people see bots and things and all the things that we've sort of been seeing heading you away, uh, that people have these questions? Because she's not the only one. Hillary, I don't think, is the only one. So what she's saying is she feels they are grooming you. You're saying nobody's grooming me. I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm a soldier and a patriot. It, it's offensive to me as a soldier, as an American, as a member of Congress, as a veteran, and frankly, as a woman, to be so demeaned in but you such a way. you called her the personification in, of rock. So demeaned She's a woman in such too. a way. Well, I'm pointing to the fact. She makes a good point. The reason it's in, one of the many reasons besides her credentials is it is demeaning. You're basically saying, well, you can't know what you're really doing because you're just a woman, uh, right? You can't be powerful and have opinions and be a leader. She's right. And then Joy tries to shift. Well, you said it too. And that's just 
not the case and it's silly. That she has continued this legacy of being the world's police around the world that has waged wars costing the lives of thousands of my brothers and sisters in uniform. I'm speaking out against that. And What's to your change evidence of that? To change. Well, can I? What, are you can serious? I, let's hear it. Are you what, serious? Let's hear it. I served in the war Not in you. Iraq. Are you saying that, that she's, exactly. she's a war I served monger. in How the do you war in that? Iraq yeah. that she championed. She championed a regime change war in Libya. Did you not believe Libya. in that war? I believe the lies that were told to us. Well, so did she. Uh, um, <laughs> look, it, it, is, it is indisputable. It is indisputable to say anything other than the fact. Well, this that I, Hillary, I let me just close this out. That Hillary Clinton, throughout her career, has led with a foreign policy of interventionism mm -hmm. and being the world's police, going and toppling dictators in other countries that has caused such destruction and loss of life. I'm against that. I'm running for president to change that. Rather than actually debate me on the issues, she and others are resorting to these smear tactic campaigns, seeking to undermine me, smear my character, and sending a message to anyone who dissents, stand, toe the line, or you too will be smeared. She's totally right. That's exactly what Hillary Clinton's trying to do to Tulsi, is that if you don't get in line, you're a Russian asset. It's the same thing that Democrats try to do to Republicans. If you don't agree with our values and our big government and our policies, you must be a homophobe. You must be a racist. You must be a bigot. You must be xenophobic. That's pretty standard stuff, except now it's Russia, Russia, Russia. So good for Tulsi. Uh, I thought she made eloquent arguments. I think she nuanced that situation appropriately and use several really sophisticated political messaging tactics to do it. So very impressive. Very, very impressive. Just yesterday, Andrew Yang places his first campaign television buy in Iowa. So the question is, will it be enough? It's not a huge buy, but it shows that he's, he's focusing on running a more traditional campaign effort. And my prediction is, he will, within two weeks of this television spend going live, he will outpoll Kamala Harris within two weeks. He will. Kamala and, and Andrew are about 2% each in the national polls as well as in Iowa. My prediction is he gets to 3 or 4% within two weeks. And Kamala, if she stays where she is, I mean, I've already talked about how Kamala Harris is toast, but it is it will be a devastating blow to be eclipsed by Andrew Yang, who to Yang's credit is doing it slow and steady, despite not really having any of the mainstream media or traditional backers of a campaign. So good for Andrew. I don't like his policies but he is running a better effort. And the real key here is, yes, is he, is Andrew, are Andrew's policies um, perhaps more in line with a woke Democratic Party that likes socialism and wealth redistribution? Yeah, uh, but really at the core of it, yes, he has that policy, but the core of it is that Andrew Yang is simply more authentic and likable. I mean, the guy has a certain level of charm about him. He's not polished. He's not slick. He dances uh, before, before debates to get warmed up. Uh, and you know what? 
I think that's actually what he does. I don't think that that's, I, I mean, I think now he gets that that's kind of become his brand. Um, he tries to land one liner punches that will stick where he'll say, uh, because I, you know, I, I'm Asian and I know math. Um, he'll try to tease a big reveal to build anticipation going into the debate stage. Uh, all very smart. He, uh, tries, he, he tries to seize on pop culture by showing up at, uh, rap concerts and others as the, as the guest, all very smart tactics. Now, is Andrew Yang going to be the president or even be the nominee? No way in hell. Um, what is Andrew's play here? I think it's to try to survive as long as you can. Uh, probably go through Iowa if you can make it and then drop out right after that. Turn around, talk about the momentum and everything you've created. And then quite frankly, run for governor of a liberal state like Colorado or something. And he probably will win because he'll have a grassroots army of people, grassroots donor army, and a little bit, a smidgen of name ID, not to mention he'll know kind of what works and what doesn't. What are the important things that a candidate must do? I'm sure he's learning. It's like drinking through a fire hose right now, but I am sure he's learning. All right. A uh, reporter on Twitter from NBC and MSNBC uh, tweeted a, uh, a snark. It was like a snarky tweet wrapped around his news saying that attacking Donald Trump, saying that Matt Bevin, remember he was the governor of Kentucky until last night. Uh, Matt Bevin was ahead by five points in polling just before Trump's rally in Kentucky last week. And then he puts up a, uh, he puts up a poll. And, and he, the poll uh, is from MSNBC, where it's, it's an internal poll from the Matt Bevin campaign. Uh, it was released. Let me pull this up here. It was released. Um, it looks like it, it surveyed 1,100 Kentucky general election voters. Actually, 1,117 uh, general, general voters, October 29th through November 1st. So that was, uh, yes, it was a few days before election day and before Trump visited. And it had Bevin up at 52%. To Andy Bashar, the Democrat who ended up winning at 47%. Uh, and it was done by the Terrence Group, which is a reputable polling outfit. They're one of the larger Beltway firms that do a lot of polling. So uh, is it fair to attack Trump for, uh, they're basically alleging here, the MSNBC reporter, that Bevin was going to win if it weren't for Trump. Trump dragged down Bevin. Trump is so unpopular that he hurt Bevin's chances. Wrong. So let's just deconstruct this in a couple ways. I can prove my point. First, the margin of error of the internal poll that was released by the Terrence Group is plus or minus 2.9. Let's call it 3%. At 3%, the, the, where the election ended up at about, um, about 50% to like 49.8, I think is where it ended up for Bashar. Uh, that's within the margin of error of this poll. Literally within the margin. So the way it works with the margin is Matt Bevin in this internal poll was at 52%. He could have easily been at, guess what? 
49%. Oh my God. It's amazing. Just like Andy Bashar could have been at 50%. Amazing. So actually the poll wasn't that off. Now, why was it not bang on? Why did it not have Bevan up and Bashar down? Um, good question. Uh, that's first of all, why margin of errors exist. Uh, that's why you really use polls to watch movement, not necessarily exact percentages, because when it's too tight, sometimes the polling will say too close to call. Um, but why was it not flipped? Well, uh, it could be a couple things. The margin of error uh, could have been the problem. Uh, excuse me, uh, not the margin of error. Um, the, the turnout model could have been slightly wrong, but as you can see, it's margin of error stuff. So it really wasn't that wrong. Um, it, it just as easily could have been flipped if they had fielded a different night or asked a few different respondents. But what this, the graphic on MSNBC didn't say was how they formulated the poll, not the sample, not who they asked, but how they asked. Did they use purely landlines? Did they do something called mixed mode? Did they use landlines and cell phones? Or did they ask all cell phones? Was it all live caller or was it robocalls? All of those things can, can change the outcome. Now, the fact that they had over 1,100 respondents tells me, and I know I'm geeking out here for a minute, but it tells me that it was a purely landline survey, simply because the cost of doing a live caller survey with cell phones to get 1,100 responses would have cost them, even if it wasn't a, a full you know, benchmark poll, just a tracking survey. Oh gosh, it probably would have run them $60,000, $70,000 to get that many responses. And there's no need for that. Uh, so it's probably a, a, a landline or they call it an IVR poll, which can present some challenges. Uh, it gives you, we call that, it's, it's oftentimes without cell phones being included because remember, legally, you're not allowed to use cell phones if, uh, if it's an automated dialer. Uh, so there are these mixed modes that we do in-house at my shop. Uh, that allow you to be representative of all groups. Um, so I would imagine that what this was, was a purely landline survey. So in purely landline surveys, what happens? Uh, it can underrepresent sometimes certain demographics that don't have cell phones. So that can be younger voters under the age of 45 that don't have uh, that don't have landlines only have cell phones. It can, it, it is uh, minorities. A lot of minority communities only typically have cell phones. Uh, Latinos and other minorities uh, typically have more cell phones and fewer landlines. Uh, so it can be harder to find. So what ends up happening is uh, let's say you get 1100 respondents and what you try to do is people who pick up, let's say, uh, let's say the population in a given district is 20% Latino. Well, of the, of the let's say, 1,000 respondents, uh, you don't have 200 Latinos that actually pick up the phone because they don't have landlines. Let's say you have 20 Latinos or 10 Latinos. What you end up doing is balancing out to balancing the results to give a disproportionate share of voice of those five or 10 respondents that were Latinos to match the actual 
anticipated likely turnout. And so the problem you've got there is if you have such few people, uh, just depending on who randomly, which Latinos you ask could flip the, and skew the survey improperly. So that's why, um, that's why the landline only methodology is challenging. Now, again, I'm geeking out here, but this is, uh, I live and breathe this stuff <laughs> every day. In Kentucky, the electorate is so overwhelmingly white that they probably looked at the cost per, uh, the cost to do a purely landline, which probably would have run them, get that level uh, anywhere from six to $10,000 versus $60,000 it was really a no brainer uh, because they were able to get close enough. Right. And, um, and so that's what was probably happening there. Um, also purely landline surveys uh, depends on who's doing it, but oftentimes they stay tilt Republican uh, plus about two, two to three points. Just that's just typically how they lean it really as uh, it's not an intentional bias. It's just, it's hard to correct for that because again, the people that have landline only uh, only have landlines in their house tend to overall just skew more older, whiter, and more Republican. So um, what I would do, I think it was probably the right decision for them to use this landline tool if I were sitting in their strategy team. But, um, and they wanted to put out numbers to show that they're winning. They had numbers that said that, so they, they pop, pushed it out so that they didn't get... Uh, they, didn't, they wanted people, you know, to not lose faith. I could actually see an argument to say we're behind to your base that you need to turn out. Um, and uh, because if you don't turn out, we're going to lose. This is a nail biter. I could actually see that reverse argument. But probably what I would have done instead of releasing that information is I would have done uh, not just one tracking uh, survey. They probably programmed in what we call either a weekly track or like a rolling track. And so what that means is, you know, the limitations of your polling tool, if it is a landline only survey, but if you do it every single week for 10 weeks or five weeks, what you're really able to do is watch the movement of the electorate. And that's really what we care about. We don't actually care about, well, we do want to know the percentages, but that's not as important. I want to watch and we can draw trend lines if we have enough data points over time. Because we can watch, are we, are we closing fast enough? Remember, Bevin was 20 points underwater when this whole sh shebang started. He was one of the most unpopular governor in the country. So they had to draw a trajectory upward. I guarantee you, if he was sitting 20 points under against Bashar when this thing started, in just an initial stack up against Attorney General Bashar, Bevin was probably losing by 10 or 15 points. So they had to, to close at a fast enough rate and they're drawing these points of time uh, and, and cross their fingers and hope it was enough that they were closing fast enough. So uh, my hunch is that they knew the limitations of this tool and they were just watching for movement. They weren't actually looking for the, to be exact, but again, the close ended up being within the margin. So even with the limitations, it was pretty damn accurate. Really was. Um, and they, they probably knew that they weren't closing fast enough. So Jesse Rodriguez from MSNBC doesn't know what the frick he's talking about. Uh, he's trying to blame Trump. Trump uh, um, 
either made it made the difference or held the numbers uh, at least steady uh, of where they were when they, you know, a couple couple days out when they polled. But furthermore, if Trump truly was a drag on the ticket, if he was so unpopular, why is it that every race down ticket, every statewide race became Republican? Why? It's because Trump lifted them all up. Trump is very popular. He's saying in the 60s, uh, I think he's like at 62%, the last survey I saw, statewide in Kentucky. The guy's a hero. They love him there. Um, so it's, it's a joke to make that assertion. There's absolutely no data to back that up. But of course, that doesn't fit uh, MSNBC's, MSNBC's narrative. And this transitions me into uh, this piece on Chris Matthews on another MSNBC host where he attacked Lou Dobbs and Donald Trump for this love affair uh, citing that it looked more like sounded like more like a Cialis advertisement. And then you're going to hear them go on about after they roll a little montage and Lou Dobbs and Trump clearly like each other. Uh, then they start attacking Fox news as they're not journalists and they should be unbiased. Well, first of all, I just talked about this Jesse Rodriguez guy who clearly is trying to fit a narrative that Trump sucks and is poison to be around. So I just deconstructed that, but let's get in also to the hypocrisy of Chris um, Chris Matthews, but, but let's first list, listen to this quote uh, or, or the segment against Lou Dobbs is interesting. Thank you to President Trump, who at his rally in Kentucky, he had about, I think, 40,000 uh, folks at that uh, rally, said this to, this to the assembled crowd. The great Lou Dobbs. And he said when Trump took over, President Trump, he used to say... Trump is a great president. Then he said, Trump is the greatest president since Ronald Reagan. And then I said, he's the greatest president ever. Uh, and uh, I met every word of it. Of course, this is nothing new between President Trump and Fox business anchor Lou Dobbs. Both have a history of lavishing public praise on each other. I'm certainly happy. I think Sean Hannity and Lou Dobbs, we have a lot of great people. This president is a historic achiever, a historic president. And Lou Dobbs, how about Lou Dobbs? Thank God we have them on our side. Have a great weekend. The president makes such a thing possible for us all. Kind of like a Cialis commercial. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what's going on here? They've been dueling <laughs> bathtubs. <laughs> They're both in their that bubble image, baths. What's for going your on here? And everyone here <laughs> is so unpleasant. But, but I think that this it demonstrates that there is, that the profession is, from these two individuals, both Sean Hannity and from Lou Dobbs, is a propaganda machine for the president. Is that dotted line? And for individuals, when you scratch your head and say, "Why? Why are people still in the safe in the camp of the president?" Is that they are also kind of in a lockbox of the media of the cons of the consumption that they receive, and that's a disservice. And it's not true to the profession of the press. Like there should be this understanding that when you are on when you are sitting here, you are actually acting on the benefit of the public. And that well, is thank you, Howard Feynman. Thank you, Maria Theresa Kumar and Michael Stiff for that lecture. This is a very helpful lecture. I don't know they're going to hear it over at Fox. <laughs> Up next. Love how they play holier than thou. Forget what the reporter I just talked about said, trying to unfairly blame Trump. At least that's kind of masqueraded. They can kind of pin facts together or the appearance of facts uh, and to, to tether to, to tar and feather President Trump. Uh, 
that is pure fake news. But let's just get go flashback to 2008 to something Chris Matthews said about Barack Obama because it's just amazing that he laughs about the Cialis commercial with Lou Dobbs. Let's listen to let's listen to what uh, Chris Matthews had to say about Obama. Always speak before Barack Obama, <laughs> not after Barack Obama. I have to tell you, you know, it's it's part of reporting this case of, of this election. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, well, I don't have that too often. Steady. No, seriously, it's a dramatic event. He speaks about America in a way that has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the feeling we have about our country. And, I, and, and that is an objective assessment. An objective assessment. A thrill up his leg. Now, what did he mean by that? Hmm. I mean, it's just ridiculous. These guys are so hypocritical. And honestly, it's moments like this where Trump is right to brand them as fake news. Um, there was a, a funny moment. Trump was in Louisiana last night and he was stumping for the governor out there in several other races. And Duck Dynasty's Phil Robertson, the guy with the big beard and the, head, uh, the headband, came on. <laughs> and he, he's not a big talker, but he had this line. I think we're going to be talking about. Uh, for a day or so. He had this line to say, let's listen to it. I got it. I got it down to this. If you're pro God and pro America and pro gun and pro duck hunting, that's all I want. Well, that's it. <laughs> Could have said that more clearly. Oh gosh, that's funny. Um, so another interesting wrinkle, the DNC, the next debate in December was the presidential debate was set to be at UCLA here in Los Angeles. Turns out the DNC is pulling out of their debate at US, UCLA uh, because there's a union boycott of the university and the DNC folded like a lawn chair when they got a call from the SEIU saying that you can't participate, you know, how you can't uh, give the, the lift and, and uh, uh, attention to UCLA while they are hurting our union membership because you're so you are the party of this pro union. So the DNC is out Now they say they're looking for another suitable location, in the Los Angeles area. Now there are plenty of locations, so I'm sure they'll find one, but it's a pretty good blow to UCLA that I'm sure they've been planning this for some time and to have that, uh, have that canceled uh, is a blow. Now, should the DNC have stayed during uh, and just said, screw the unions? And no, because they don't want that subplot narrative to eclipse what's happening on the debate stage. They don't want the picket lines out front. I'm sure that's what the unions told the DNC, that they'll picket, that they'll drive all the press and they'll, ste they'll step on their event. Uh, and the DNC doesn't want that. So they smartly moved out, but it's interesting how they just completely folded uh, and, uh, and UCLA got screwed. Any guesses where the debate will be held? Uh, I mean, there's other universities. They probably don't want to go to USC because of USC's problems. Uh, Pepperdine is too either right wing or far away. Um, I suppose they go down to LMU. I'm sure they're positioning for it. Probably don't have big enough venues for something like this. So my hunch is they go to the Chinese theater in Hollywood uh, or LA live in downtown LA has some good like black box theaters. I think it's, I think it's 
called the Microsoft Theater or something like that. Uh, that's my guess where they go. Uh, but, but we'll see. On tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to break down the New York Times report that a uh, David Pluff, who was Obama's campaign manager, uh, along with other senior Democratic strategists, are gearing up to spend $75 million like now in digital advertising uh, to counter and attack Trump. I'm going to break down exactly uh, how they're going to spend it. Is it going to matter? There is a state that they are excluding from the list of key states, which is really a, t a interesting tell that the Democrats have already abandoned one of the most uh, notorious and traditional swing states. We get into that, but thanks for listening to this episode of The Thomas Guide. I do hope you enjoyed it. Of course, you can tweet me at The Thomas Guide or on Facebook. And if you want, you can leave me a review on iTunes if you happen to listen on that platform. Uh, that helps the algorithm grow the show. So thanks so much. Of course, you can go to theteaguide.com. It's been another episode of The Thomas Guide. We'll catch you tomorrow.